All right. Hey, give it up for our worship team. Always want to thank them for what they do. Appreciate them getting us going every night, especially on the chilly and rainy ones. Um, so thank them a bunch. Well, hey, uh, welcome again to the first Christian Campus Fellowship dinner and a message of 2023. All right, new year. New year, new... Nope, same thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, glad you're here. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, for yeah, Honestly, y'all, for, for braving the weather, because um, um, now if you don't know, we, we, got, we got off pretty easy. Other parts of the state got hit a whole lot uh, with a whole lot worse stuff, but you know, wind and rain, I get it. You're, you're wet, and you came in from class or work or whatever, and you're like, eh, maybe I'll just hang out at my apartment or my dorm, but y'all didn't do that, so thanks for that. Thanks for coming to, uh, to hang out. I um, want to give a little shout out, uh, I guess, for the future for our podcasters, if you are joining us on that. Thanks. Our live stream decided that, you know, nah, just the CCF gremlins, they're, we have them. We have, like, we have gremlins that live in this house that mess with uh, all sorts of electronic stuff, and especially like a live stream. Because why would you do a live stream on a day with weather like today? I mean, oh yeah, it would have been nice to have had. Oh well. But anyway, so shout out to our podcasters. I'm pointing at the microphone podcasters that you're listening to, but you can't see that anyway. Uh, my name's Donnie Holiday. I am uh, one of your staff members um, celebrating uh, about 10 years at this place because back in January of 2013, I did my first talk right here. So yeah, like that's, that's crazy, like 10 years. So, yeah, um, that's nuts. That's just, like, I know, thanks, Colin. Um, Carrington wasn't born. Yeah. She was here. She was in utero, but she wasn't, she wasn't born. Um, but, but, yeah, so, like, CCF's been a part of Carrington's life, like, her whole life. And, and Lexi was in pre-K, so... Yikes. Uh, so it's been a while. Um, but I love doing what I do, and I love getting up here and talking with y'all about what I'm learning, and I want to make sure you hear it that way. I don't get up here to be like, look at what I know, because trust me, if over 10 years I've learned. I don't know a lot. Um, but I, I work really hard on trying to learn about Jesus and, and learn about God and, and read the Bible and stuff, and I find really cool stuff when I do that. And so I want to be like, y'all, check this out. This is really cool. So that's what I try to do every Thursday night uh, when I'm up here. It's been like a month, over a month. So I'm glad to be back up here to continue our theme of story time. Uh, if you haven't been with us at all this year, uh, we pick a theme every single year, paint the room accordingly. And this year, our theme is story time. And we are using, kind of as our jumping off point, something called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And you may look at that in the cover and be like, that looks like a children's book. Well, it's okay to judge a book by its cover in this case, because look inside of it. It's very much a children's book. Um, but it is definitely written for kids, but not just for kids. Uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible has this really cool, um, I guess, tagline that we've painted over here. Every story whispers his name. We spent all of last semester in the first part of the Bible, the part before Jesus shows up, the part that's routinely called the Old Testament, the part that a lot of people like to skip because it's dull and boring. And if you were with us last semester and you still think it's dull and boring, you were not paying attention. Um, because it's exciting, and every story in it points to Jesus. Um, now, it's easier to see this semester how the stories point to Jesus, because he's going to be in almost all of them. Um, <laughs> but I don't, and, and Jesus tried to make that very clear. Our theme verse is painted back here. It says, 
um, the scriptures point to me. This is Jesus saying that the scriptures at that time was just what we now call the Old Testament. And Jesus is basically telling this group, look, y'all, everything you're reading is pointing to me. That's what he was trying to tell people. And the Jesus Storybook Bible does a great job of this. So if you hear that and you're like, seriously, dude, stories in the Bible? No, we're looking at the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is Jesus because the whole thing points to him. And so that's what we've been doing last semester. We're going to continue that uh, this semester. Excited to do that. Uh, but before I go any further tonight, uh, let me pray. God, uh, I thank you for today. I thank you. Um, I thank you that the weather didn't get that bad here, God. Uh, but I am also mindful of the fact that other places in the state, it got really bad. And so I just pray for folks that are, that are cleaning up, uh, they're dealing with the aftermath and recovery that's going to come with some, some pretty nasty storms, God. So I pray that you would watch over them. Uh, and God, right now, I pray that you would watch over us. I pray that you would speak for me. Don't let me say anything you don't want me to say. And make me say the stuff you do want me to say. Um, so speak for me, hear for all of us, and make it good. Uh, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, many of y'all know this. Some of you don't. Uh, but before... Uh, well, when I was a student, let's go fat. When I was sitting where y'all were sitting, I was sitting there with a math education major because that was the plan. Uh, teach middle schoolers math uh, for my whole life. Um, and I did that for about a decade, and then God was like, Good plan, Donnie, I've got a better one. Um, and it is better because I'm not grading papers right now. Um, but being a teacher is important. Yeah. Riley's student teaching right now. So, um, and anybody else that's in education, it's, it's an important thing. But here's an important lesson for the future teachers and just for everybody, because this is something you, you need to know. Okay? You need to know who the most important people in a school are. And I think the top three are pretty clear. So what do y'all think? Who are the three most important people in any school? No, they skip all the time. The janitors. Yes. Yes, because they clean up stuff that nobody wants to clean up, but everybody wants it cleaned up. So yes, they are on the top three for sure. Along those lines, when you see staff at UGA cleaning up stuff, cleaning bathrooms, cleaning up college students' mess, don't just walk by them. Let them know you actually see them and tell them thank you. Just, hey, thanks for what you do. It will blow their mind, but it will make their day. Okay, all right, so janitors, custodial staff. Okay, cool, that's one. Lunch ladies, because man, that food's terrible out of the box, and they make it mostly edible, okay? Unless, if you're like me, and your first teaching job was in Washington Wilkes, where they make it awesome, dude, the week before Thanksgiving, they made like legit turkey and dressing. It was so good. Yes, it was fantastic. I went to two lunches, so <laughs> I did. All right, so custodians, lunch ladies. Hmm, that's a good one. Bus drivers is, are, are important. Teachers are important. I think teachers are four. <laughs> Who knows everything about everybody? Okay, but not just the students. Miss Angelica in the front office. The front office staff. Okay, executive assistants, secretaries, whatever. Yes, they know everybody. They know all the teachers' personnel files, and they know all the students' permanent records. Have you ever been at a school when the principal is trying to answer the main line? 
just shut it down. It doesn't work. And yes, there are other people that are important, but y'all, 10 years in, in schools taught me if one of those people's out, it's going to be a rough day. If two of them are out, it's going to be miserable. If all three of them are out, you better hope it snowed. Because, but, but they're often overlooked, right? They're often, you know, overlooked. But when they're gone, everybody notices. It's, it's kind of like those muscles in our body that we don't think about until we tweak them. Like those rib cage muscles that you don't think about until you're like, oh. And then somebody's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It only hurts every time I breathe. It's cool. Or like, you know, a crick in your neck like I've had for like three weeks. It's starting to go away now, but good grief. It's just miserable. It's like <laughs> one, one day I was sitting up and somebody walks in and instead of being able to turn and be like, hey, who's that? I'm like, who's that? So a lot of fun driving when you can't really look around, totally trusting your mirrors. That's not good. Um, but the overlooked things are often super important. Sometimes the most obvious choice is not the best choice. Oftentimes, unexpected is the way to go, which is what we're going to see tonight in this story that we're going to look at where Jesus chooses the men that are called the 12 disciples. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit. Disciples just means followers. Jesus had more than 12, okay? He had a whole bunch of people that followed him. And let me just go ahead and put this out there. All of the 12 were men, but not all of Jesus' followers were men. There were plenty of women that were disciples, and multiple times, the women out-discipled the men. Multiple times. We'll get to that in a little bit, too. Um, but he, there were crowds that, that were kind of with Jesus a little bit, but then, you know, he went out of their town. They're like, all right, we'll catch him when he comes back. But then he, had, he did have followers and groups, but he picked 12. He picked 12 to be kind of his, his inner circle, uh, if you will. And he, but he doesn't pick who you expect, which I think is another reason we call the Jesus story the gospel, which means good news, because he didn't pick the people that most people would have picked. Okay, because you don't have to have it all figured out to start following Jesus, which makes the story we're going to look at tonight super helpful if you just know that from the get-go. You don't have to have it all figured out to start following Jesus. All you have to have figured out is that you want to start following Jesus. That's literally enough to start. Now, the useful part and the part that makes it a little more challenging is that Jesus doesn't stop there, and we're not going to stop there. We're going to look at what Jesus said about following him. Okay, and what that uh, looks like. So I am going to uh, read from the traditional Bible some, but to kick us off, I want to read the Jesus Storybook Bible account of this. Uh, the pictures will be up there, so it's you know, like I'm holding it up for you, and you'll be able to see that. Uh, so just a couple pages. Here we go. Jesus left the desert and set about on the great rescue. He'd been in the desert for a couple weeks, uh, tempted by the devil. It's a pretty cool story there, too. Uh, it said about the great rescue. That's what the Jesus story Bible kind of calls his mission, the great rescue. He was going to get God's people back. But first, he needed to find some helpers and some friends. He had a lot to do, so he would need some people to help him. Who would make good helpers, do you think? Clever ones? Rich ones? Strong, important ones? Some people might think so, but I'm sure by now you don't need me to tell you that they'd be wrong. Because the people God uses don't have to know a lot of things or have a lot of things. They just have to need him a lot. One day, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he saw some brothers and friends mending their nets. They were poor fishermen. Jesus called out to them, let's go, which is how they put follow me. It's traditionally what he says, but let's go, sure. Peter, Andrew, James, and John looked up at this man on the shore, and they couldn't explain it, 
Their boats needed to be put away. Their nets needed mending. Fish were still wriggling on the shore. But something about this stranger made them just drop their nets and their fish, leave their boats and everything, and follow him. Okay, pause. I don't think he was a complete stranger. I really hope these men didn't just walk off with some dude they'd never met before who's like, come on, boys. And they're like, all right. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty sure they knew at least a little bit about who Jesus was. But this God man was like no one they had ever met. When they looked at Jesus, their hearts filled up with a wonderful forever sort of happiness. And inside, it was as if they were running free in an open field. Jesus asked 12 men to be his helpers. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, another James, Simon, Thaddeus, and Judas. Meeting Jesus would change all of them forever. All right, so there's a couple little points in here that I kind of want to bring up as we kind of go through uh, this story, and then we'll look at some other uh, passages and and really unpack this idea of of following Jesus and and what that looks like at the onset and then kind of progressing through that. One thing that the Jesus Story Bible tells us is they left everything. Please don't miss this. They left everything. When you read a traditional Bible in the the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' time on earth, they all recount this. These men leave everything. A couple of of the stories even say that James and John leave their dad Zebedee just sitting in the boat. It's just like, we got all these, dude, all right. Um, There's another one that says there was this miraculous catch of fish where they caught more fish, like so many that the two boats were starting to sink. They were so full of fish. They'd had like weeks off after they sold that, and they left it because Jesus said, follow me. We're going to look in a little bit about a man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, If you're not familiar, um, the tax collectors were Jewish people. Remember Jesus and all of his followers and most of the people living there, if they weren't Roman, they were Jewish. the, the Jewish tax collectors worked for Rome, getting the Jewish people to pay taxes. Roman taxes, but they always jacked up the prices a little bit and got rich themselves. Tax collectors were hated. Matthew, and we're going to read this in a little bit, Matthew's in the tax booth when Jesus calls him. Matthew literally left money on the table okay, to go follow Jesus. These men left their careers to start following Jesus. I think that's important for us to to recognize the sacrifices that, that came there. All right, and, and the Jesus story of the Bible says you don't have to have a lot or know a lot. You just have to need him a lot. Now, I got a little bit of a problem with this because here's the thing about needing Jesus a lot. That's everybody. The key is you have to realize and understand and know that you need him a lot. Those are the people that Jesus was looking for. And we see this in the story of when Matthew is called by Jesus. I want to read this to you real quick. It's Matthew 9. It'll be up on the screen behind me. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, which is a fancy way of saying when they sat down to eat, because back in those days you sat on couches and kind of leaned on your left arm and ate with your right hand, and I don't know. It's what they did. Um, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, those are the Jewish religious elite, saw this, they said to his disciples, notice they don't ask Jesus, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, that's Jesus, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to answer. 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is in Matthew's house, at Matthew's table, eating Matthew's food with Matthew's friend and calls them sinners and people who are sick who need a doctor. And Matthew's like, yep, that's me. Everyone within earshot of Jesus, everyone ever needs him a lot. Matthew was willing to acknowledge it. Okay, he was honest and humble enough to know, that's me. And this is the first challenge we're going to look at to this whole following Jesus thing. Because yeah, anybody's invited to start following Jesus. But are we going to keep following when he says that we're sinners and that we're sick and that we need a doctor? Which brings me to our question for tonight, which is, who am I following? Uh, if you're new, um, golly, that is so cool. We got a new projector. That is so clear. I mean, that is just crazy. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't. I like leaving you with a question because I think questions stick with us more than like three or four points or like, you know, a list that all starts with the same letter or they all rhyme or whatever. I think questions work better. And I think questions that you ask yourself work even better. It's one of the always first person questions. Me asking you a question is not going to change anything. But if you're willing to ask yourself a question, that will. So who am I following is our question that we're looking at. All right, last thing about the Jesus story Bible part that I want to mention the last part of the story said, meeting Jesus would change all of them forever. Now, I really like the Jesus Storybook Bible, but I've got to take issue with that closing line uh, because I just don't think that's true. Now, real quick, let me say something about this. The Jesus Storybook Bible is a children's Bible. It is an interpretation, very loose, of the actual God-inspired Bible. Okay, you can't do what I'm about to do with the actual Bible and just be like, ah, I don't like that word, I'm going to change it. Okay, you can't do that. Okay, as much as you would like to, as much as I would like to, as much as I know people would like to. I was talking to a friend recently who current um, situation in her life is not lining up with, with what they believe about the Bible and what they believe the Bible says. But this person is, I've got so much more respect for this person, I already had a lot. Because they're wrestling with it. They're not like, well, this is my experience. I'm throwing the Bible out. Because you can't do that. Okay, so I didn't want to say that before I started changing stuff in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because it's, it's a children's version. But that word meeting is ridiculous. Because lots of people met Jesus and didn't change. Meeting Jesus didn't change their lives. Following him did. And there's a difference. Okay, there's a really big difference. Lots of people met Jesus during his three and a half years of ministry on earth. And lots of people are still introduced to him now by friends and family and classmates and random people on campus and, you know, dudes that stand up here on Thursday night and talk. Um, but it's not just about meeting. It's not just about introducing you to Jesus. It's about are you following him? So again, our question, who am I following? Now, y'all, I understand why we like the idea that you don't have to have it all figured out to start following Jesus. That's really good news. 
That makes perfect sense. Yes, we should, we should celebrate that and be thankful for that. Because, like, wait, anybody's welcome to follow Jesus? Yeah, that's the whole point. And you're telling me God chooses people that don't make sense? Yeah, all the time. Like, still, like, still now, God chooses the people that don't make sense to do things for Him. You've seen this probably with, with friends of yours, family of yours, maybe with you. Okay, but even when you read the Bible, you see this throughout the Bible. I want to, I like coming down here sometimes and asking you all questions, so I'm not the only one talking. So I want to ask a couple questions. And here's the thing. If you don't know the answer to these questions, it's not like you can never come back to CCF. I'm just trying to get other voices talking, so I'm not the only one talking. Who were the first people that God told that Jesus had been born? Shepherds. How were shepherds viewed in that day and age? I mean, yeah, it's like, golly, do your sheep, do you have the smell of your sheep or do your sheep have the smell of you? Like, they were just hated. Nobody liked them at all. They just didn't. All right, so that was Jesus' birth. Let's fast forward 30-ish years. Who were the first people to witness and then tell other people about Jesus' resurrection? Women! Why is that so why is that so shocking in the first century? It didn't matter. If there was a if there was a criminal trial and you called a woman to the witness stand, you got laughed out of court. A woman's word wasn't it didn't matter. But while all the male disciples are hiding because that's what they were doing, the women are like, we saw the dudes that put him in the tomb. They didn't do it right. We got to bury him, right? And they're like, oh, shoot, he ain't here. Oh, there he is. Go tell him. You got it. And that's what they did. You wouldn't, and by the way, this is one of those things that I think proves the Bible is true. Because if you're making it up, you don't write it that way. Okay, if you're making it up, you do not write it that way at all. All right, so those are kind of some groups of people. Let's look at some individuals. Abraham. Abraham's the father of of the, the Israelite nation. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, if you don't know the song, consider yourself lucky. Um, <laughs> but twice, at least twice that we know of, Abraham, buckle up, you've never heard a preacher say this, pimped his wife. Oh, yes, King, she's my sister. It's in the Bible. It happened at least twice. And the second time he gets called out for it, he's like, this has been my practice everywhere we go. How many times did you do this? <laughs> but he's the father of the nation of Israel. Okay? I mean, it's just, you're just like, what? It just seems crazy. Moses, who led the nation of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Before he did that, he killed a dude. Premeditated murder. The Bible literally says, looking this way and that way and seeing no one, Moses struck him down and killed him and, <laughs> and buried him in the sand. And this is the dude that God's like, he's, he's the best prophet there is until this Jesus guy comes around. The, um, the first ever Christian missionary, a man named Paul, started off as a Christian persecutor. The man who ended up being probably the greatest source of growth of Christianity started trying to not just like suppress it, like 
kill everybody associated with it. This is what God does. And it's still true that God uses unexpected folks. It's still true that Jesus came to save the sick and sinners. It's still true that you don't have to have it all figured out to start following Jesus. It's also still true that there are expectations for you if you do decide to follow Jesus. It's also still true that obedience matters. And obedience is not a word we like talking about, quite honestly. We think it's one of those things reserved for the religious folks. And in our day and in Jesus' day, people love throwing stones at the religious folks. You know, accusing them of being too rigid and too hypocritical and judgmental and they're orthodox and they're fundamentalist and they're all these things. Well, I would just say this. Before you start throwing rocks, remember that Jesus said you can only do that if you're without sin. But secondly, the problem with the religious folks wasn't that they were religious. And the problem with current religious folks isn't that they're religious. And speaking of which, religion's not a bad word. The Bible defines religion as taking care of widows and orphans and keeping yourself polluted from the world. Don't you want to be that? Like, it's become cool to be like, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Be both! Yeah, but religion's bad. Not if you have the Bible for your definition. Well, I choose not to do that. Well, that's a bad choice. Sorry, it just is. Bible's definitions are good. But what these religious folks oftentimes don't realize is that they're sick and need a doctor. That was the whole point of Jesus' whole thing. But anybody's welcome to follow him. Anybody. We say that. We say, oh yeah, anybody can follow Jesus. And what we think is, yeah, the, the worst sinners in the world can, can still follow Jesus if they want to. Yeah, and so can the most religious people in the world. It works all the way across. Everybody means everybody. And we see this, this idea that Jesus wants everybody to follow him in a really fascinating story uh, that's found in the Gospel of Luke, uh, one of the accounts of Jesus' time on earth. Uh, kind of lengthy, but a really good story here. Uh, it'll be up there, so take a look. Luke 14. Again, when one of those who reclined at table with Jesus, Jesus got to eat like all the time with folks, so, which is pretty cool. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's trying to impress Jesus. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. By the way, this is what Jesus does. Somebody says something and Jesus' response is either a story or a question. In this case, it's a story. Um, I think in a lot of ways like that, um, Jesus is kind of like a, a grandparent. It's like, let me tell you a story. It's like, I, didn't, I just asked for a quarter, Grandpa. What, go, okay. Um, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Okay, if you're dumb enough to buy a field sight unseen, I don't want you at my party. So, whatever. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. This is an extravagant purchase in the first century. Five yoke of oxen, and you haven't even looked at them, but you paid for them? You got more dollars than cents, dude. You shouldn't come to my party either. I mean, what in the world? All right, and the dumbest one of all, and another one said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Okay, gentlemen, if you are engaged and you get invited to a party that is occurring shortly after your wedding, 
you do not RSVP for that party without talking to your fiance. Duh. I mean, it's just, what in the world? So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry. He's mad. But look what he does with the anger. Said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. We're going to have a party. I don't care who comes. Just get people in here. The servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And so the master says, go out to the highways and the hedges. Go outside of the city now and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, y'all, we read this and we key on that my house may be filled, which is fine. I mean, with good reason. Jesus wants his house full, invites any and everybody. If you don't want the invitation, okay, cool. We'll find somebody that'll accept it. But this is one of those places where um, Bible headings really mess up. If you're not familiar, the Bible um, split into individual books, and the books have chapters and verses which were not there initially, and then headings are added. Luke did not put the headings in, but most Bible translations put a heading after verse 24. And I don't think it should be there because I think it breaks up the flow. I think headings are there to put Scripture in more manageable chunks because... We're lazy and don't like reading a bunch at one time. That's a discussion for later on this semester, but we'll get to that. But this is one of those times where if you stop too soon, you miss the point. And this is where, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, but this is an important thing. So let me come over here so I'm, I'm saying something different. If you have a problem with something you read in the Bible, don't stop with that sentence. Okay? This may be the most extreme example I can give, but I think it proves my point. There is a place in the Bible, in the New Testament, so the part after Jesus, not like, oh, we just, just missed the Old Testament, which you shouldn't do anyway, but I want to make sure we know it's in the New Testament. There is a place in the New Testament that says, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. What? Keep reading. Next sentence. Likewise, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. Oh. It's talking about mutual submission, which is hugely important for all relationships, especially marriage. Like, see how many problems are solved when you just keep reading? Now, in this case, problems are created when we keep reading, but we get the whole story. Verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Now, right now, if you're like, I thought he was at dinner. This is clearly a different scene. Now, here's how this would work. When a Jewish religious teacher or rabbi was invited to dinner at somebody's house, he would go, but oftentimes the dinners took place kind of in this like outside courtyard. And so there would be like one wall that kind of blocks off that courtyard from basically the street. Well, if word got around that this rabbi was there and he was popular, everybody that wasn't invited to dinner would just come hang out outside and just listen. So basically, the idea is Jesus is having dinner. He tells this story, and then he's like, Hey, y'all over behind the wall. You hear me? Cool. All right. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build a wall, a build, but was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Probably not, dude. Um, and if not, while the other is yet a great way away, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Anybody's welcome to follow Jesus, but their expectations if you do that. Three times in a pretty short period, Jesus talks about how you cannot be my disciple. There are things that will preclude you uh, from doing that. Yes, he wants everybody to come. And it's interesting, I think, what Jesus is doing with this is he says this so that both the people invited to the party that he's at, who I think represent are represented in the story by the initial invitees, and the people who are on the outside, who I think are the people who end up actually at the banquet in the party, that they all hear this. Okay, now, I realize maybe you read that and you're like, no, Donnie, I think those are two different stories. Okay. Matthew tells the same story. This has Jesus telling the same story about uh, a man creating a banquet and, and trying to get people to come and people don't want to come and he, he just invites any and everybody. But Matthew adds something at the end. And keep in mind, Matthew's one of Jesus' closest followers. Matthew gets it. And Matthew adds that the, the master of the banquet, once everybody's there, he kind of starts walking around, he's greeting everybody, and he notices a dude who's not wearing the right clothing. And his response is to turn to a servant and say, bind him hand and foot, cast him out in outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So yeah, you, you're invited, but there's an expectation once you're at the party. Does Jesus invite everyone to follow him? Absolutely. But does that invitation come with expectations? Absolutely. Think about it this way with classes. Following Jesus doesn't have any prereqs, but there's still a syllabus. Okay? I thought that was pretty good. I had the prereqs thing on my own. I was going through it last night, and the syllabus thing came out. I was like, oh, that's good, God. That kind of completes the whole analogy. It keeps it together. But what you see, like, you know, the syllabus tells you the expectations. And, it, you know, following Jesus isn't like 1102 that you have to do whatever 1101 is first. No, you just dive in. Okay? But there are expectations. And those expectations led some people in the Bible to just be like, nope. Because what Jesus would do, and not that this had to be so annoying to the disciples who were like, we're going to start a movement, this is going to be great. Because when Jesus had a really big crowd, that's when he broke out the really difficult teachings. That's when he, he's like, oh, we got a bunch of people here. <laughs> All right, let's see who's really in it. And he does that in, in John 6. And it, oh, it is, whew, it is just, it's a crazy difficult teaching. And at the end of that teaching, we read this. After this, many of his disciples, many of his disciples, not the crowds, people that were following, now not the 12, the 12 are down here, but many of Jesus' followers turned back and no longer walked with him. 
That teaching was too difficult. They just couldn't deal with it. So Jesus said to the twelve, you guys want to leave too? Simon Peter answered him, I think this might be Simon's greatest moment. I really do. And Simon's the dude who walked on the water for a little bit. Simon's the dude who, um, uh, when, he, uh, when, he, when he died, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worried. He didn't think he was worthy to be crucified the same way, die the same way Jesus did. But I think this is, this is such a great answer. Where are we going to go? That's basically what he says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They didn't come to know that Jesus was the Holy One of God because they met Him. They came to know Him by following Him. So again, I ask us, who am I following? And maybe you've been sitting there for the last little while thinking, I mean, cool talk, Donnie, but I mean, I'm, I'm an independent person. I don't follow anybody. Well, then you're following yourself. Everybody follows somebody. And a lot of us, it varies from day to day. That's an exhausting way to live. Well, who am I going to follow today? Or who am I following today? That's why you just follow Jesus. It's easier. It's harder, but it's easier. And if you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Neither does, neither does God being like, you know what I should do? I should go to the earth, walk around for 33 years, and then die the worst way the world's ever met because I love those people that much. That's what happens. And I, I get that, that who am I following is like, What? big kind of nebulous out there question so let me come at that question our, who am i following question through another question like the question kind of under the question answering a question with a question questionception i guess i don't know um ever asked yourself how did i end up here ever been in a situation where you're like huh you know, you're at that party and you're like, how did I end up here? You're at that apartment with just one other person. How did I end up here? Back of a police car. How did I end up here? In a relationship, months, maybe a year or so down the road. Bottom of who knows what number bottle. How did I end up here? You're at some rally or some protest or a counter-protest. It turns into a riot or an insurrection or a demonstration. I don't know. And you're like, how did I end up here? The answer to that is often directly related to who am I following. Now, it's not always bad. I think I ended up here 10 years ago because I was trying to follow Jesus. And I think I ended up here 10 years ago because Angela and the CCO board of directors and staff at the time was trying to follow Jesus and it seemed like this Donnie dude might not be a bad dude for lead pastor and I was like that CCF place seems like a pretty cool place to go so and I was at a church that didn't have instrumental music so it was like oh we're rocking on worship this is nice so that was cool too um, and really short closing prayers which I was not used to but it's really nice to do that and if you're like what it's coming don't worry <laughs> but, I mean, so it can be good. But, y'all, we've all found ourselves in not good situations where we're just like, golly, how did I end up here? I'm telling you, the answer more often than not is in who am I following? One last scripture. 
I challenged our student leaders uh, with this on Monday. We had a little leadership uh, dinner, and, and near the end, I challenged them with the last couple of verses of, of a psalm. If you're not familiar with psalms, if you take a physical copy of the Bible and open it up, uh, psalms is right in the middle. It's 150 poems that are prayers, songs. They're written, they're, they're written as poetry, really cool things uh, to read, um, really good place if you're just looking for something to read quick in the Bible, a uh, good place to go. Psalm 139 uh, ends by saying this. And again, this is David uh, writing this one. And David was one of those unexpected peoples. Young shepherd boy, ends up being king, does some horrible things as king, uh, but God still uses him. And even, God even calls him a man after my own heart. And he ends Psalm 139 by saying this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Your, your student leaders, we were talking about that, the overwhelming view as we talked about that was, that's kind of a terrifying thing to ask God to do. Like, you like no, show me these things? See if, there, see if there be any grievous way in me. Now, grievous is not a word I use all that open, often. Maybe you do, but I don't know. Georgia students are smarter now than they were back in my day, so maybe you all use that. So I was kind of like, I wonder what another way of looking at that is. So, BibleGateway.com. There's an app, but on BibleGateway.com, what you can do is you can enter in verse, and then there's a little button that says, see all English translations of this, which is so cool, because then you read like 50 different translations of the same verse. And so you see grievous in other places. It's wicked or hurtful or offensive or idolatrous. That's my favorite. Or wrong or painful or makes God sad or dislikes, disliked by God or rebellious or sinful. So just grievous means not good. It's bad. Okay, that's what, I mean, that's what they're trying to, it's just not good way. I love idolaters. That's my favorite one for sure. But my favorite translation, I think, of all of them is, and that's, I, I use the ESV a lot, English Standard Version. So this is not a typo when this pops up. The ERV, which is the easy to read version, which is not very literal translation, but it's easy to read. This is how it translates this last part. Make sure that I'm not going the wrong way. Lead me on the path that has always been right. I mean, that'll preach, y'all. Lead me on the path that has always been right. And I think we pray that and God's like, yeah, that's what I do. If you're on the wrong path, you can be sure the answer to who am I following is not Jesus. That's just, that's just the reality of the situation, y'all. Jesus will never lead me the wrong way. The only question is, who am I following? Now, I realize with you know, this many people in the room, there's a good chance that not everybody in here is following Jesus, and that's cool. And if you, are not, if you would not call yourself a Christian and you're here tonight, um, that's really cool. I think that takes a lot of guts, a lot of courage, and thanks for being here. And I hope you'll stay. I hope you'll keep coming back. And maybe you're like, but I don't know. I don't know what to do to start following Jesus. I don't know if I know enough to follow Jesus. Well, like I said at the beginning, if you know that you want to follow Jesus, you know enough to start following Jesus. Because here's the thing. You never stop following Jesus. Okay, I've been a Christian for 32 years. I'm still following Jesus. That's what I do. 
And I do what I do for a living now because, because I want y'all to also. That's why all of us that are on staff, y'all, as you, as you leave, the, the left door of the, of the meeting room has the name and phone numbers of all your staff members, your GAs, your MAs, and your, and your student interns. We, we're following Jesus imperfectly, but that's what we're doing. And we would love to walk along beside you as you do the same thing. So if you've got questions, that's what we're here for, okay? That's why we've got so many things going on that you're going to hear more about. Because I honestly believe the answer to who am I following is the most important answer you come up with in your life. What you do with Jesus is more important than anything else. Okay, it matters. And the offer is there. He extends that invitation to everyone, which is the beauty of how much he loves us. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all as we accept Jesus' invitation to follow him. Let's pray. God, thank you that your invitation is available to all. Thank you that you love us and you want everybody to follow you, God. God, when we hear voices in our head, whether it's us, whether it's the world, whether it's, whether it's Satan, whatever it is, telling us that, that we don't know enough and that we're not ready to follow you, God, just remind us that all we have to know to start following you is that we want to start following you and that we need you. So remind us of that, God. Thank you again uh, for loving us. Thank you for offering that invitation. Thank you for sending Jesus to offer that invitation. God, I pray for each of us here tonight that this first internet message, God, as I think forward to the end of April and our last one, God, I pray that you would do what you need to do to make sure each person in this room and listening on the podcast later, that each person is following you more closely at the end of April than we are now. I believe you can do that, and I ask that you would. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.